Friday, everyone, and welcome back to Around the Waves on KCOU 88.1 FM, Columbia, the student voice of the Missouri Tigers. I'm your host, Luca Vitale, alongside me, Ben Schmidt. Ben, it is a great Friday, not just because of the weather, but day two of the NFL draft. I'm, I'm so thankful you pivoted to, to the draft portion. That You weren't here last week, so you don't know this. I told everyone, all of our listeners I've made the executive decision to boycott talking about the weather and our show opens, so I would much rather talk about the NFL draft. The executive which, decision. Yep, okay. I was in charge last week, and I put my foot down. I'm not doing it. So You weren't I, in charge? I was in charge. Oh, you I was in charge. I was, I was, I was, I was, no, Justin was here, but he wasn't here at the start last week, oh. so it was all it was all my decision. But draft-wise, yeah, I mean, okay. it's, in, it's in our state. You and I were both there. It was awesome, and now we get to watch it again for two more rounds tonight. I'm excited. Yeah, uh, I didn't go to bed till three in the morning. I kind of had to stay for uh, a free fall bo- out boy concert. Yeah, you, you stayed longer than I did. Listen, I, 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 listen, I love fall out boy. I still love fall out boy. So we're not going to talk mm-hmm. about that because we have that in the rundown. But anyway, let's get going here with some Mizzou sports. We're going to start with Mizzou baseball as they, they head to Gainesville this weekend or starting today actually to battle with the Florida Gators for a three-game series. But, yeah, we understand that the Tigers, they defeated SIUE, their midweek contest. But they're in danger of missing the SEC tournament as only Ole Miss currently has a worse conference record than the Tigers. But as we know, the teams with the two worst records will miss the tournament. But, Ben, we've talked about this a couple of times. Since sweeping Tennessee way back in early in the season to begin SEC play, and that was back in March, like it feels like forever ago, the Tigers have lost 13 out of their past 15 conference games. That series that series opener against Florida is today, and the first pitch is scheduled for 6 o'clock. So, Ben, let's get going here. Do you think the Tigers are able to steal a game in Gainesville? Yeah, I mean, I think I think they're able to take a game here. It's a, it's a Florida team that um, I think Missouri could match up potentially decent decent against. Uh, especially you have Chandler Murphy um, at least right now the one scheduled to go tonight. And Florida with their thirty two and ten overall record, they are a team that's that's been very good in the SEC over over double digit wins in the SEC. But for Mizzou. I, it, it just feels like at this point we're talking about the same thing with them every week. They're not good in conference. Um, the, the, I guess resume-wise, they have six wins over Quadrant 1 teams, but resume doesn't matter if the the two worst teams in the SC don't make the tournament. Like It's not it's not like a resume thing there. There's not a committee that you're trying to make look good for to get you into a tournament. No, in the SEC tournament, it's just you have to have the wins and losses record, and it has to be good enough to get into the tournament. So Mizzou having those six Quadrant 1 wins really doesn't do anything. Um, their home record really doesn't do anything because they can't win in conference and they can't win on the road. I mean, you look you look at their SEC schedule, they have just been horrible when they've left Taylor Stadium. So um, I think the pitching, whether it's Chandler Murphy, whoever gets the ball in games two and three, whether it's Maltrude, you, you could see um, uh, whoever whoever gets the ball, whether it's Losey, who, who knows, I think could keep them in a game. But it's just like 
there's just no intrigue with this team right now to the point where it's like, yeah, I'm sitting down and tweeting in to watch them take on Florida for the weekend series because it's 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 the same thing every game. Could could we look up some point later tonight and it's eight o'clock and Missouri scored six runs and they're in the game? Yeah, but it also I think there's a very real probability that they've given up eight runs and they they go on to lose the game. So it feels like if the pitching's not there, the game is usually over by the third inning. So that's why um, I just don't think there's a lot of interest in this club right now. So but I guess back to your question, yeah, they're good enough to steal a game, but it's like. It's not they, they just they don't move the needle right now. I just I hope they're they're good enough to steal some wins at the end of the season and sneak into that SEC tournament. But I don't we, we don't expect them to really do anything even if they get there. So um, it's it's just a very it's just a very meh kind of situation right now. Uh, they're not winning a single game in Gainesville. That's a good try, though. Um, listen, I like how you did mention though. That's a good like, good point that they could score six runs, but they may score they may let up nine runs, and that's exactly what's going to happen this weekend. You know. Ben Schmidt, I was the same person sitting here after the Tennessee series and said, I don't believe in this team. And sure enough, here we are at the end of April. And sure enough, I was right. Good for you. The team you go to school at stinks. I'm glad you take pride in Missouri Tigers being bad at baseball. History tells you something, okay? It may tell you more than names, dates, and facts, but it tells you a story. And that is exactly what happened yet again this year. Now, Let's talk about Florida, shall we? For Missouri's sake, this is probably their toughest test since Vanderbilt, which you could argue maybe it has it, but I would say it is their toughest test since Vanderbilt, and it probably couldn't have come at a worse time because the Missouri Tigers, as we know, they are fighting for their postseason lives, and they're endangered of missing the SEC tournament for the, what, the third consecutive season. <clears throat> I'm looking at you, Steve Beezer. Um... You know, this Missouri Tigers squad is practically on life support. And the Tigers have no choice but to win this series, in my opinion. In Florida, they do not win games off the mound. It's like a Tennessee squad. Yes, they're better, though, at pitching. But this is a Florida squad that wins with their offense. The Gators have some solid pitching, but it's their hitting that makes them so lethal. And Ben, you will hear this name a couple of times this weekend. It is Jace Caglione. You'll be hearing that name quite a bit. I don't think he'll pitch because he has really struggled pitching this year, but you will hear his name when he's in the in the batter's box. This is somebody that just hits nukes, okay? I mean, he hits the he leads the nation right now with 23 home runs and he's slashing 372 this year. This is somebody that went into college and was primarily viewed as a pitcher. But now, this is somebody that has cemented himself as a two-way prospect that has just such significant success in Gainesville. I will not sit up here and say he is the next Shohei Otani. I will not say that. But he is a two-way prospect. I will say that. You got someone in Wyatt Langford who has a great plate presence. He's disciplined. He knows not to uh, take he knows how to take his pitches. He knows not to swing outside of the strike zone. He takes twice as many walks as he strikes out. Same thing with Josh Rivera. He works great at bats. And then we have someone in uh, Brandon Sprout who is just Florida's best pitcher in my opinion. He's regressed since last year, but this is somebody that has a fastball with his arsenal in a slider and a just a disgusting curveball. So this is a team that is going to win with its offense. And Missouri's, and Missouri's uh, pitching is not going to be enough. 
So that's why I think the Tigers will get swept because, yes, you got Roick Moltrud. I think he's good. But the problem with Moltrud, we have seen it a couple of times. He only lasts four innings. After that, he's going to collapse in the fifth inning. We've seen it a couple of times this year. Chandler Murphy, I believe, is their best option to win a game in this series. But other than that, this series is a wrap. Yeah, I mean, Chandler Murphy is without a doubt because not only is probably Missouri's best chance on the pitching staff, but it's game one, and that's the, that's the game where you jump on a team um, if you're going to take wars. If, if Mizzou comes out tonight and they lose 8 to nothing, they have no momentum, and it's probably going to be an ugly weekend going into tomorrow and Sunday. I guess one thing, um, I've, I've liked some of the development this we, that we've seen this year out of uh, Missouri senior Ty Wilmsmeyer because that's mm. a guy who it's at the bottom of the lineup for his first couple of years. You knew kind of exactly what um, you were going to get out of him. You were going to get decent average. Um, you weren't going to get really any power at all, but I think this year, um, for him to hit nearly 300 and have the on-base up over 370, I, those are career highs. The slugging's the highest of his career. So I think for a guy who already had a good glove and maybe um, as the season's progressed has given Missouri some depth at the bottom of the lineup, I guess that's something. Because we talk about the same names in this lineup every single week, whether it's Mann, whether it's Bargo, um, Ross Lovitch, the earlier in the season before the injury, we talked about him. But I think Wilmsmeyer, a guy maybe to mention just because he has taken a step forward. Does it lead to anything in the future? I don't know. Um, but I think that's important. Whereas, if Missouri is going to win and they're going to have to score a high number because um, some potential itching, p- pitching issues, it's going to be guys like that at the bottom lineup that turn it back over. And especially with Wilmsmeyer, who's been an excellent base stealer, can he get on base and give a top of the lineup hitter a chance to maybe drive him in? <clears throat> Excuse me. All right, let's get going to Mizzou softball. This is a team right now that's riding a five-game winning streak, probably the best they've played all season long. And they're heading into College Station, which they're going to have their work cut out for them. This is an Aggie squad right now that finds themselves in the top 25 rankings as the Missouri Tigers, they're finishing their SEC role play. The problem with that, though, is you can look at the North Texas, I almost said Texas A&M, they are playing Texas A&M, <laughs> yep. North Texas, um, that they hosted last weekend to finish that nine-game homestand. Or no, excuse me, they just finished that this past uh, midweeks uh, contest. Excuse me. Um, but this is a Texas A&M squad that is pretty good. But I look at this North Texas series, the past one that they just recently swept. It's impressive that they swept them. The only reason they swept North Texas is one name and one name only. That would be Lauren Krings. Other than that, Ben, were you... Um, were you um, were you um, happy with the way the Tigers played in that series? I will ask you that question. Yeah, that that, says, that is a good way to word that because I don't know if I'd say happy. I'd say content. content. I think content content is word. the best way to put it I because like you look at this matchup. I, I certainly don't think you can be happy with scoring three combined runs in the Friday and Saturday games. I mean, both games they won because the pitching was incredible, but one nothing and then 2-1. to one. Um, I know North Texas for an out-of-conference team is a pretty competitive one, but I think you would have liked to see more scores like what happened on Sunday in a 5 nothing win. Uh, so I think that's why you go with content, because you're not upset because you swept the series, and that's, no matter who you play, that's not easy to do, and the pitching was incredible. Lauren Krings deservedly gets all the praise for her efforts last week, and especially with the no-hitter on Friday. Um... But I think you would have been more. You would have been happy if they won all three games, like they won the Sunday game. Well, it was five to nothing, or if they were scoring more runs. Yep. So I think that's that's the best way to put it. Yeah, that's exactly that. Yeah, content is the best word. Yep. Thank you. Um, but yeah, that that's the word to use, and you're 100 percent right. You do realize that one to nothing game, Lauren Krings masterclass. You do realize that was a one to nothing game, Julia Crenshaw with the only offense that was able to be seen that entire game. You do realize, I understand that Lauren Krings had 17 strikeouts. 
only one pitch, only one mistake could have tied that game. Just one mistake. That's the problem with this Missouri Tigers softball team. That's the problem with it, is the pitching has been so good this year, from Krings to Weber to Harrison, that all their efforts, they go to waste. And that's the problem. We've seen it so many times with Lauren Krings, and we've seen it so many times with Jordan Weber. I don't look at pitcher records because I, I think it's misleading completely. Agreed. Totally. I, I just do. I, but the problem is when you pitch a game the way they have all season long, they need some run support, okay? Lauren Krings was holding on to a, a thread in that game against North Texas. She played phenomenal. There's no doubt about that. But at the end of the day, they only won one to nothing. She could have made one mistake, and the game would have been tied. It, it only took. It would only take one swing to just get over the fence, and we would have a brand new ball game. Lauren Krings did her. her she did her job, and she pitched. I believe she pitched in the uh, series finale as well, which she yep. pitched phenomenal as well. Lauren Krings deserves all the praise in the world for that series. Nobody else in this Tiger squad, I'm sorry, deserves no more praise than Lauren Krings in that North Texas series. I, nobody, nobody impressed me more than Lauren Krings. Yeah, I mean, you you hope that the Tigers come out of a series similar to how they had last year, right around this time, end of April, when they faced AM and yeah. Missouri in those three games. What upset. 7, 7, then 11. I mean, if, if the Tigers put up those numbers over this weekend, I think we would all be ecstatic coming back. Coming it would back be a on miracle. Monday. Yeah, we would be happy. So, um, I guess one offensive name I'll throw out there as well, because sure. all season long, it's been Julie Crenshaw, Alex Honnold, top of the lineup. Someone please, anyone step yeah. up in the bottom half. Uh, you look at Maddie Gallagher at second mm-hmm. base, 13 game on base streak. In the North Texas series, uh, she hit 667. So, she's getting a hit two out of every three at-bats. If that hot streak continues and adds a little bit of depth, even just like I think some change of pace there to where the the opposing pitchers for the Aggies aren't getting able to take like an inning off as you get to the middle to bottom part of the lineup. Uh, I, I think that is important. Gallagher now up to 298 on the season, um, so it's they are they're going to have to get that going, and it's going to be um, it's going to need it need to be like I think Missouri. I don't know if Missouri wins a game this series where they score less than four runs, if that makes sense. Because I, yeah. I don't expect them to go out and hold uh, A&M to just one run over three games like they did in North Texas. It's yeah. probably going to be multiple uh, two- to three-plus run performances. So do I see a one nothing final for Missouri happening in this series? No, I do not. Do I see a 4-3 final? Yeah, sure, they could pull something like that off. But they're going to need multi-run performances and able to not only potentially take the series, but if they're going to want to take a game here on the road. Yeah, you know, that's a really good point, and I agree with you. Um, you you, do, you did mention last year's meeting between A and M. Yeah, I see eleven to six, seven to two, seven to five, and extras, and that was a sweep. I actually covered the one with Hattie Moore, where the one where they did win in extras, where she hit the home run. The problem with that, you notice those numbers, eleven seven seven. We have not seen that all season. And those names that were in those lineups are not here anymore. Yes, they're not here anymore either. Um, there is no Kim Ward. There is no Brooke Wilmus. There is no Cassie Shomo. You know. The thing is, it's about consistency with this team. We understood, we, going into the season, we knew this team was going to be able to pitch. We already knew that. What we didn't know was that this team was going to be able to hit. And they've not been able to hit all season long, with the exception of Alex Honnold, uh, who has been phenomenal. But Maddie Gallagher, I like, you bring, I like that you bring her up, because she's actually played very well in the middle of the lineup. But it's the bottom of the lineup. Riley Frizzell can't be found. Uh, we, we can't find Katie Chester. She can't be found. Uh, Peyton Jackson can't be found. It's the bottom of the lineup that needs to show up more, so that way you can set up Jenna Laird in an RBI situation. We have yet to see that, because when she's up to bat, there's nobody on base usually. So 
She'll usually get a single here and there. I mean, she'll maybe hit a double. But the problem is, she's the only one that's getting on base. There's nobody on base in the bottom of that lineup. So it almost makes her efforts go to waste. Yeah, no, I, I you you hit it there. Um, it's just tough for Missouri because they continue to dominate the midweeks, and it's just. And I know obviously the midweeks are much less tougher competition. I mean, the only you got to win them though. The, the only I guess recent like tougher competitions is that Kansas played them close last week. Yep. But it's just you. It's it's tough because they can't carry that momentum into the weekend. So right. we've seen them talk about it. I, I don't remember exactly who it was. One of the players a week and a half ago talked about bringing that into a weekend series. I think it was prior to North Texas, maybe whenever it was. Um, it's just, you look at the 4-14 four and 14 SEC record, and it's like, what is the difference outside of the obvious being a tougher opponent? But it's like, why? what is the philosophy that changes from a game on a Wednesday to a game on a Friday night to where the at-bats, the quality of them are just much, much worse to where it's not taking pitches, it's not working up pitch counts, it's not get them on, get them over, get them in. Where, where is the consistency being uh, kind of broken up in just the, the two days in between? All right, we're going to do a quick commercial break. After that, NFL Draft and the NHL Playoffs will be right back with you on KCOU 88.1 FM. Are you the type of person who loves their community and wants it to be the best it can be? Now it's easier than ever to do your part. Go to RecycleMode.com to see just how easy it is to recycle the right way. Or if you already recycle and want to be as efficient as possible, RecycleMode.com can tell you what should and should not be recycled in your area. Become part of the clean recycling movement today. It's the right thing to do. Sponsored by the Missouri Department of Natural Resources. Welcome back to Around the Waves on KCU 88.1 FM, Columbia. Let's get into some NHL coverage. The 2023 Stanley Cup playoffs have have not disappointed thus far. So far, only the Vegas Golden Knights have punched their ticket to the next round. But some teams in the first round haven't performed to their expectations yet. So, Luca, this is your time to shine. Which team is the most disappointing so far on the ice in the first round? Well, before... Before we get to that, I'm sorry, I almost forgot to turn on the mic. Um, usually I'm the one that usually starts, so yeah. I'm not used to that. Um, first things first, you know, I didn't disappoint was Fallout Boy last night, just so just so we're clear. But in terms of the NHL, you know, I went and I went into these playoffs with very, very high hopes with the New York Rangers. They have been horrible these last three games. Games three, four, and five to be exact. The first two games in New Jersey, I thought it was going to be a sweep because the New York Rangers had full control. They looked like they had everything under control. They looked like they were the better team offensively, defensively, and goaltending-wise. Then we see in game three, the New Jersey Devils heading to Madison Square Garden. They put in a Kura Schmid in net and uh, subbed out Vidic Vanacek. I don't know what has happened since. I like a Schmidt. I, I like him a lot. I think he played very good for the Devils this past year. I think he was a fifth-round pick in 2018, if I'm not mistaken. Um, but you know what? This Ranger squad has been nothing but a disappointment and embarrassment for all New York fans out there. I had this team going to the Stanley Cup 
because of what they have offensively. You, I mean, last year they signed Andrew Kopp in Vink Vetrano at the trade deadline. This year, they they didn't just get veteran players. They got Stanley Cup champions in Patrick Kane and Vladimir Tarasenko. They have done nothing. They can't be found. And, in fact, the top, top six on this team cannot be found. I mean, I just found this uh, earlier today. Igor Shosturkin had the same amount of shots on goal last night as Chris Kreider, Patrick Kane, Artemi Panarin, and Vincent Trocek. Last time I checked, Igor Shosturkin is the goaltender. He's not supposed to be shooting shots on goal. He's supposed to be saving the puck. I am very disappointed in the New York Rangers. Artemi Panarin was supposed to be performing to very high expectations. I cannot seem to find him. Mika Zibanejad, he can't be found either. Mika Zibanejad and Chris Kreider, they are coming off back-to-back 30-plus goal seasons. They cannot be found anywhere on that ice. Adam Fox, as good as defensively he is, chipping in points, he has had a down year as well, and he cannot be found either on the blue line. Igor Shosturkin is the only reason that has been great about this series for the New York Rangers. He struggled last year in his first year in the NHL playoffs. This year, he's done everything he could possibly do to keep the Rangers in check. The offense has not done their job. They just got shut out last night and were embarrassed in uh, New Jersey. And now it's going to uh, Madison Square Garden in Game 6 tomorrow. And the New York Rangers are, before we know it, facing elimination. They were up two games to nothing. They've lost three straight games. So it could be actually a backdoor sweep if they lose tomorrow. But anyway, we understand that this is a New York Rangers squad that they have youth, and they have experienced veterans. The reason I picked the New York Rangers to win the series in seven games is the New Jersey Devils. They they had a phenomenal season. I applaud them in their efforts. The reason I didn't pick them is because they're young. This is a very young squad that has zero playoff experience, and they don't really have any veterans. I mean... I like Andre Pilat. I mean, he's, the, with the exception, the one uh, Stanley Cup champion on this team that has uh, playoff experience. They got Miles Wood, who has been a disaster. I'm glad that he got benched. Um, Jack Hughes, he has been good. Luke Hughes' brother, he's been spectacular. Jesper Bratt, I like him, what he brings to the table. Eric Halla. And Timo Meyer has been phenomenal in the series. And defensively, I'm sp- I'm shocked how good this team has been. Dougie Hamilton and John Marino and Damon Sever- Severson, I mean, they have been very good. I am just really, really surprised at they were down two games to nothing in a team that doesn't have really that many veteran or experienced players in the National, uh, playoff, in the National Hockey League playoffs. They don't have that much. They got youth on their side, and that's it. Usually the teams that win Stanley Cups they got a combination of youth and uh, veterans that are able to get the job done. The New York Rangers have there is zero excuse as to what is happening right now. I mean, this is a team, they got grittiness. We saw it last year against Pittsburgh. We saw it last year against Carolina with, uh, with uh, elimination on the line. We haven't seen it this year. The same level of physicality and consistency, haven't seen it uh, either as well. It's just the skill that this team has. Vincent Trocek, Mika Zibanejad, Chris Kreider, uh, Vladimir Tarasenko, Philip Heedle, 
Alexis Lafreniere, I mean, it is, it's almost ridiculous how embarrassing this really has become. They're not playing hard along the boards. They're not really winning puck battles. And they're not doing the small things that are so significant to win in the playoffs. They were second overall last year in giveaways per game, which was not good. And we're starting to see it now in these last couple of games in that it's starting to haunt them. But I said this. And I said this before the playoffs. Ian Paprocki and I did a little Sports Saturday in the in the NHL playoff series. I said the player to watch was Artemi Panarin because he's the offensive catalyst for this team. He's the top winger, one of the team's most electrifying scorers, not just on the team, but rather in the league itself. But as quickly as he can heat up, he can quickly be in a slump. And he has been in a slump because he is MIA in this series. His contributions, they're just so vital to any long run that New York goes on. And it's feast or famine, with it seems like, with this dude. And it's been famine because we can't find them. I mean, you got to be able to look for veterans like Patrick Kane, who's a Hall of Famer, and Vladimir Tarasenko to be able to pick up some of the slack. They've done none of that. I feel bad for Igor Shosturkin because he's played a very good series. Jacob Truba, defensively, he's played a very good series as well. But you know what? You can't score goals. You're not going to win many games in the National Hockey League. It's that simple. And you know what? I didn't expect to see this at all because tomorrow, before you know it, Game 6, Madison Square Gardner, uh, Garden, excuse me, and their season can be over. And I am going to stand the cup because they have so much talent on this team and nobody's showing up. It's, it's just a shame because, you know, it really is. But, uh, Ben, before I give it to you for the NFL uh, draft from yesterday, just so everybody knows, tomorrow, Sports Saturday, 1 o'clock, Ian Pap, Rocky, and I doing the NHL 2020-2023. almost used more numbers on that. Yikes. Um, for the draft, which is in July. Lottery's on May 8th. We're going to get going with that. So Patrick Kane just not showing up for he the Rangers? He has not done yeah. anything. He has a goal in the series, but that That's was that. games two. This team, I'm not kidding you. If you've watched this, I didn't watch yesterday's because obviously I was at the draft, but... I think zero goals tells you enough. Yeah. I watched games three and four, and oh my lord, was it horrible. Just horrible. But anyway, let's get going to something a little bit more, you know, uh, uplifting. Uplift, no. Uplifting, that, that's not going to make me upset. I'm glad I didn't make a bet on that because, yikes. Um, the 2023 NFL Draft, as we all know, began yesterday. Carolina Panthers, they selected Alabama quarterback Bryce Young with the number one overall pick. And as we know, the draft continues today for round two at, at six o'clock, in, in rounds two and three, excuse me, at six o'clock. And then it, it's going to conclude tomorrow, rounds four and seven, tomorrow at noon. So, Ben, let's just, you know what, I want to have a little bit more fun with this as opposed to just strictly sticking with a question here. Just tell me some of your takeaways. Just do that for me. There's there's a couple big ones, and I'll, I'm, I would guess at least a couple of these you probably recognize the same. But number one first has to be the fall out of the first round for Will Levis. I mean, yep. that's right away that, that catches your eye because... For various different sources, potentially a top four pick, a guy that Indy had been rumored to love, and these are all rumors. It's all smoke screens, which happens for the last month or two. Um, 
But uh, Rappaport said this after last night. Once Levis made it past four in Indianapolis, there really just was not a home for him. And he just continued to fell and fell, which is a tough situation. You feel for not just Levis, but any guy in that situation over the past years who is there at the draft. And he's just sitting in the green room for four hours straight and then ends up not getting picked. So you feel for him. But it's it's a, this is such an interesting situation because the odds at one point for Vegas of him making it out of the top 20 was like 0.1%. I mean, that seemed to be like someone was going to come get him especially once you got past the Raiders at 7. But it was very interesting because it appears that a lot of these general managers maybe did not give Levis a first-round grade and then stuck to their guns and didn't draft a quarterback just to draft a quarterback because he was there. I mean, there's some needy teams potentially. Like, I know the Raiders just paid Jimmy Garoppolo three years of money, but do they potentially, if they see a young guy, that they can let sit behind Jimmy for a year and then they move off of him? The Tennessee Titans, don't, I don't think they like Ryan Tannehill or Malik Willis. There's some other teams in this range, like the Commanders, um, Buccaneers, who, like, it would have made sense, but they didn't want to reach on a quarterback just because he was there. So I thought that was right away the most interesting thing um, because we all knew. Um, I shouldn't say no because there were some rumors about the Texans going defense, but for the most part, that three out of the four were going to go in the first four picks with Carolina, Houston, and then Indy. But I mean, I don't know about you, but I didn't think even if the Levis doesn't get picked by Indy at four, I didn't think he makes it much more past twelve because I think Tennessee would have been the spot at eleven. But for him to continue to continue to fall, I thought was a very, uh, very interesting thing to watch throughout the rest of the night. I think there's other key takeaways uh, throughout the first night too that I'll get to in a moment. But uh, your thoughts on Levis falling as far as he did? Yeah, and you know what? I mean, I think that was the more more obvious one. So I'm glad you brought it up. Regardless. I'm a little shocked. You know, I thought the Colts were going to take him at four. Hmm. But obviously they saw something in Anthony Richardson that I did not see or maybe you didn't see or most analysts did not see. Um, but I'm happy for Anthony Richardson that he found his no new home in Indianapolis. I wish him nothing but the best. Um, but as we know, with Anthony Richardson, the dude is elusive. He can run with the football. I mean, the dude is athletic beyond belief. I mean, we know what he could do running with the football. As we know, everybody has said it last year. Everybody said at the combine. Everybody even said at the draft. Can he throw the football consistently? We do not know the answer to that. We're going to find out. It's the same thing with Justin Fields and Lamar Jackson. It's the same thing. You know, it's it's a risk for Indy at four. I think it's a calculated risk and it makes sense because you yeah. um just looking at the fact that Indy brings over Philadelphia coach Shane Sykin who is running the offense that Philly ran with Jalen Hurts and all the mobility and the QB sneaks and yeah, uh, it, it makes sense scheme wise um because obviously Richardson is much closer to Jalen Hurts than Will Levis is though Will Levis is an athletic quarterback but Richardson certainly more fits that mold and he's he is so incredibly raw so I don't know if their plan is to start week one I know a reporter asked Richardson about that um, and Richardson replied something along the line of they, they brought me here to win Super Bowls or they brought me here to do that. So you know he's ready to go. Um, but I thought that was interesting. Another big thing, storyline from this first round. Man, I'm not allowed to make my storyline? Oh, okay. No, I'll, sw- I, wow. I, I'll switch to you. Oof. Man, you, I, you asked you asked me the I question. I did ask my, you, but my, my, my man, you my, asked geez, you asked for my storylines. I've given you one line oh, so far. Okay. I was going to give you a second. Oh, okay, you're lucky. I'm tired because I probably did. Say I that. was just answering what you asked me. You, for. I did ask you that. That's fair. All right. What I will say, one of the storylines for me is was Brad Holmes, the general manager of the Detroit Lions. Okay, last night. Uh, uh, listen, I was at the draft just like you, Ben, and I don't care if I was watching on TV or if I was there. I don't know if Brad Holmes was fully there. You know what I'm saying? I am very skeptical of what was happening last night. Originally, they were at six. They trade back. 
So clearly they didn't want Jalen Carter. Um, but you trade back at 12 with Arizona, and I think that was from Houston as well. Um, but I don't understand. At number 12, you take your first pick. You take a running back. Because the first that came to my head, you have DeAndre Swift, who's still on a, on a rookie contract, and you just signed David Montgomery to a three-year deal. David Montgomery is actually a very good running back, it's just the Bears don't have an offensive line, so he didn't look as good as he actually is. Jameer Gibbs, this is absolutely no shade towards him. Jameer Gibbs played phenomenal at Alabama. It's just a matter of how much of a reach it really was in a need that the Lions don't, didn't have to address with that pick at number 12. I mean, they could have gone in a number of directions on the defense, especially because that was the problem last year was the defense. It could have been a pass rusher, or you could have gone with a cornerback like Gonzalez, which he went really low, by the Patriots way. Patriots got a steal. Yes, they did. But except the Lions decided to dress the running back spot. They could have done that in the third or fourth round or whatever they wanted to do. I mean, they had a shot. Think about this. At number six, before they traded back, they could have gotten Tyree Wilson, the edge rusher from Texas Tech, which would have helped them tremendously, and Jalen Carter. But they went with a multi-dimensional offensive threat that despite the defensive ranking that was at the bottom of the league last year, they go offense first. And I want to address as well, by the way, their second pick in the first round, which is why the Detroit Lions, in my opinion, are the biggest losers in the first round. I mean, this is a team last year that actually was a really good team, but they completely approached this this, this draft wrong. They did. I don't have a problem with Jack Campbell either at number 18. However, there is this dude, Ben, I'm sure you've heard of him on Georgia, named Nolan Smith. Did you ever hear of that dude before? Yeah. He's a linebacker just like Jack Campbell, except, uh, oh, yeah, one played in the SEC, the other one didn't. You know, listen, I get that Jack Campbell, he fills a need on the defensive side of the, of the ball for the Detroit Lions, but Nolan Smith went all the way to, what was it, 30 or something like that, to the Lions. He went all the way down there. I mean, you couldn't take Nolan Smith at 18. you got to be kidding me. I mean, Nolan Smith would have been the perfect pick right there because you could have, I mean, me personally, if I was the the GM, I would have taken Christian Gonzalez with that first one and then Nolan Smith for the second one. That is exactly what I would have done. The Detroit Lions, they have the offense they have their bridge quarterback in Jared Goff right now. They got the running back. They got the running game. So everything else, I mean, you'll probably take an offensive tackle here and there later in the rounds, but defense should have been the priority in the first round, even if it's two, both. take a, They should have taken a quarterback. I don't care who it would have been. I would, I would have taken Gonzalez. They were never going to get Witherspoon at six, but they, would, they should have just done Christian Gonzalez, and then they should have done Nolan Smith. I mean... It's just it's ridiculous. I didn't understand their philosophy or even approach last night. Yeah, I I also do not agree with with the Gibbs pick. I, I see the vision behind it. So do I. I don't like it now. But my question to you is: Now are they trying to trade Swift? That's my question. Um, a trade or just eventually cut him because they have no leverage. I do think this potentially signals the end of his time in Detroit. Interesting. And I don't necessarily know if they 
loved him just because he, he had the injury issues. There was some inefficiency issues as well. There was Swift. Um, mm, when okay. I say I see the vision, I think that's because, um, remember Dan Campbell, he was in New Orleans yep. for, for a period before uh, before this. And Brad Holmes, I think, also has some connection to Todd Gurley. But um, the vision I think they have right here is a combination of Montgomery and Gibbs, similar to in their prime that we saw with Mark Ingram and Alvin Kamara. That's I think that's the goal here because that was a lethal duo for a two to three ish year period when they were both healthy, one of the best, if probably not the best at the time in the league. And I think that's the vision. Although I think you could have gotten a off brand similar vision with Montgomery and Swift, and I think you could have done pretty similar things. Um, but I, I, I will say this: overall, this draft is a little weaker. So at twelve, if Gibbs if Gibbs shines despite the um, lesser value of running backs in this age, um, mm-hmm. I think you're still happy with it. But if you just look, if you dive into the analytics of this, two of the most least valued positions in the entire NFL are running back and linebacker, and mm-hmm. that's where they went with their two first round picks. Mm-hmm. So I don't I don't love it. I see the vision with Gibbs, um, and then with the second pick in Campbell. I don't love it at 18. Uh, in the comparison to Nolan Smith, um, the SEC take, I think, makes sense. But it's also, Campbell was the best player on an incredible Iowa defense. So, so that doesn't scare me. So he is a quality athlete. I will give you that. But I think it's more of the reach. That's the thing. I mean, I don't think many people had Jack Campbell going that early, or I mean, I think most people actually had him in the second round. You know what I'm saying? I mean, that's what I'm. That's what I took away from it. Yeah, I, it's Jack Campbell feels like a Dan Campbell type of player. So I <laughs> and should, hmm, should, I why. should you draft players based on no. who they remind you? No, they, you no, should, they not, should not. But um, I think he's a good player, and he could certainly make an impact on this Lions Lions defense. But last thing I was saying, you mentioned Nolan Smith. If if it's what do we expect them to be, boy, did the Eagles make out good last night getting Jalen Carter and Nolan oh Smith, Lord. two potentially like top 15 talents, and they left the draft with both of them and on a defense that lost some pieces. It, I mean, they're they're building the Georgia now defense. Now it's even cheaper. Yeah, so they, they added Nolan Smith and Jalen Carter, and then last year they already had N'Kobe Dean and um, the D-tackle from Georgia, whose name is slipping my mind at the moment. Yeah. So they are now, over the past four, two years, drafted four Georgia defensive starters. My Lord. And a historically good Georgia defense. I mean, that, that just seems like a pretty good plan to me. So they, they are certainly, I think, a winner from the night the Eagles are um, in tell you what, you, you look at uh, the Cowboys offseason, and then they add a defensive tackle last night, and the Eagles offseasons and the additions they made, that division next year is going to be a heavyweight battle between the Eagles and Cowboys. All right, I'll do another quick storyline, but give me yours first. Um, I uh, So I think the Eagles, um, Lions, and the slide of Levis was, I, I think, a big thing. Um, I think Minnesota has to be happy with getting Addison, not having to move Yeah, I was going to do that after for the second one. I'd like to talk about your team. Yeah. Um, if you want to do it right now, go ahead. I'll, I'll just real, real quickly with Addison. Sure. It fits the Vikings offense, and they needed a running mate next to Jefferson at, because last year Thielen had lost a step, and Osborne is, you know what you have in KJ Osborne. It's nothing crazy. So um, we saw in certain teams, where Detroit did it a couple times, where Defenses were able to put all their all their defensive backs on Jefferson's side and leave the other receivers one on one, and they weren't beating one on one coverage. Meanwhile, with Jordan Addison, you were getting, despite maybe the, the lesser in terms of size and beating press, he's an incredible route runner. He creates space, and I think as long as they can work him into a right type of scheme, then you get a really a really promising duo between Jefferson and Jordan Addison. Um, and the reason I say winner is because the Vikings didn't have to go up to get him, despite the run of receivers right in front of him with. 
the JSN, Quentin Johnson, and Jay Flowers going to the Seahawks, Chargers, and Ravens. The Vikings sit right at 23. They get Addison, a guy who reportedly was in the building a week or so ago, and they absolutely love. So if that's their guy and they got him sitting pretty at 23, I think that's something to take away um, rather than having to, uh, um, I guess, move up for him. And then final last thing I'll say, we sure. mentioned this briefly, Patriots getting Gonzalez at 17 is awesome. I mean, that's... Yeah. Gonzalo, Christian Gonzalez, a guy who is potentially could go um, near the top ten, may not realize it now because I mean, no no guy's happy to fall maybe tennis more picks than you were expecting, but that could end up being just an incredibly good fit for him because it gets a a very promising quarterback. He now gets to go work at Bill Bill Belichick's system, who has produced cornerbacks year after year and could become a premier defensive back. Um, and I think the Patriots getting him at seventeen after moving back a couple times, I think, is a really really nice get for them. All right. Well, before I get to the Bears, obviously, because you talked a little bit about your Vikings. I will say another storyline, which did they do phenomenal last night. Instead of doing a negative, I'm going positive. See what I did there? Um, you know, the Seattle Seahawks. Oh, my Lord. Yeah. Whew. You know, they addressed, I mean, I wouldn't say two positions that they had to address, but rather upgrade two positions. Devin Witherspoon, oh my lord. Devin Witherspoon and Tariq Wollin in the in the second there. Oh my god. That's just going to be so scary. I mean, the Seahawks, they could have taken Jalen Carter at six, or five, excuse me. They could have taken Jalen Carter, yeah, or Tyree Wilson at the edge. That's fine. But passing on Carter, what it signaled to me, as well to other teams, they weren't exactly comfortable with his off the field issues. Totally, which is what I mean. That is a. That, I mean, that is why I'm assuming. That's what I'm assuming. Why so many teams passed on him? That is yeah. exactly what I'm assuming. I don't know. I mean, that he is, in my opinion, the best player in this draft. If he didn't have so many off the field issues, he just is. He's that good of a player. Seattle potentially leaves this draft with cornerback one and wide receiver one. I mean, that's if, if they work out, because um, there's some good receivers. Jackson Smith and Jiga could be the best receiver from this draft, and Witherspoon um, easily could be the best corner from this draft. And there was multiple multiple times that the Jalen Carter's visit with the Seahawks did not go well, did not really hit it off. Um, so they, they take their guy, and they're building kind of um, some of the best great Seahawks defenses, had incredible secondaries, and they're building it now with Witherspoon and Woolen already there, and then they get another receiver. I mean, you you know what you have in DK, but Lockett's not getting any younger. I believe he's pushing 30 at this point. I believe so. Um, you can never have too many weapons. So they th- this could look very good for the Seahawks um, looking back in a couple years from now if they pan out. Yeah, you know, I got to admit, JSN is just a special talent. I mean, we saw Marvin Harris Jr. take the next step, which Panthers, I hope you stink next year because that would help very much. Um, but, you know, that's the thing is JSN is going to be very special on that offense, and it's just only going to bring the offense to another level that we didn't get to really see next, last year, but they were already pretty good last year. So I can't wait to see Geno Smith now have another weapon at his disposal and see what they could do. And defensively, well, they're going to be better. Now we're going to find out, by the way, with Jalen Carter – is he 100% committed and he could stay out of trouble? If he could stay out of trouble and stay committed, well, guess what? The Eagles got a steal at number nine. Were you upset that the Bears moved back to pick and nope. passed on him? Nope, I did not. Um, I was not upset at all because a while I think Jalen Carter is a very special talent, I was very concerned, just like other GMs within the league and fans and analysts, is he going to be a troublemaker? That's the thing. I mean, this it's a first-round pick. So you can't really mess that up, okay? So, I mean, if he pans out, well, guess what? The Eagles got a steal. But 
in terms of the Chicago Bears, which many people constantly cannot stop complaining about, um, you know what? They fill the they fill the need that they need to fill a need. They fill the hole that they needed to address, and they did. Darnell Wright is a very special talent. I mean, did you see him against Will Anderson last year? Darnell Wright completely won that battle last year when Tennessee went to Alabama. You know, Justin Fields was sacked 55 times last season. And let's take a look at these stats here. Chicago allowed pressure on 39.5% of dropbacks, worse than the NFL. And also, Darnell Wright last year did not allow a single sack over 800 snaps. So the last time I checked, I think that's pretty good. And he played in the SEC just to make that make make sure that's good. So now they addressed it another issue on the offensive line. So now you have another offensive tackle that could play opposite of Braxton Jones, who they drafted last year. They got Nate Davis in the guard, and they also got Tevin Jenkins, assuming he can be healthy in the guard. That's already an upgrade from last year. Like I said, it couldn't get much worse. Um but I think that was a great pick. And this is a big guy, by the way. Do you see how big he is? Yeah. I mean, it's it's an anchor. It's yes, a total, he total is an anchor. anchor. I mean, this dude, I mean, I mean, I know I understand how people wanted Peter Skoronsky out of Northwestern. I got that as well. I wasn't too crazy about that. I mean, I could see it, but Darnell Wright, in my opinion, was just a better choice. Just take a just take a dart when you're drafting Lyman, just throw it at the biggest one. I mean, yeah. look at so I mean uh, uh 49ers offensive lineman whose name is slipping my mind right now. Obviously, huge guy. Yeah. Christian Darisaw, Vikings ascending offensive lineman, big guy. I mean, you look yeah. all around the league. I mean, these tackles are just absolute yeah. anchors. Uh, man, I, I don't know why the 49ers tackles uh, slipping my mind Trent right now. Trent Williams? Yes, I, okay. that's that's what it was. All but right. regardless, I mean, it's yeah. it, you want protecting your quarterback, you get some get some size on those exactly. ends. Exactly. So I, I like I like the pick for the Bears. It pains me to say um, because you know what I will <laughs> say. What doesn't pain me. The Packers passing on uh, JSN. Yeah, that's, <laughs> I, I, when they got to that spot and he was there, I was like, "That's I really that hope they don't get a, a weapon." Packers yeah. move. It really is. I mean, everything's about defense. And Lucas Van Ness is a very good he player. He is a good player. I mean, I'm not saying he wasn't. Pass he yeah. is a good player, but that's not exactly what they need right away. They needed a wide receiver. I mean, they got Dobbs and Christian Watson. Who else is? On yeah, that it, team? it feels like it feels like you would have had Watson to take the top off the defense and then JSN out of the slot. And they can't even stay underneath. healthy yet. Yeah, so um, it was an interesting pick. There was some. This draft is supposed to be potentially a lot of bust potential because the high end talent just yeah. isn't as good. But it feels like one. Um, as, as much as there were some confusing picks, there were also some teams that made out very well, which we've talked a lot about with the Eagles. Um, I think even the Cardinals trading back and then still getting Paris Johnson was a very good yeah. w- deal for them. Yeah. But there's also some really good talent still left as we get in tonight with around two rounds two and three. There's some potential, like, I think we thought maybe back in first round guys that are still sitting Ian there. Ian White, that sound familiar to you? Yeah. I'm interested to see top of the second round is do, does a team that passed in the first come up and take a quarterback? Um, we'll never Never know the, these GMs grades and Levis could be so much lower than we actually thought. Who knows? Maybe all these guys were giving Levis a second or third round grade, and this isn't as shocking as, as we all thought. Um, but it it feels like we could be in a situation where someone earlier on comes up, uh, especially get one of these cor- corners too, because Joey Porter made it out of the first round. Yep. Um, I know there, there's some supporters out there for Cam Smith out of South Carolina. So um, I think that the first, I mean, by six six thirty when the second round begins, we're going to see a lot of movement because there's. Um, 
um, a, a group of like 10-ish, I think, um, potential back-end first-round talent guys that are still there that mm. could get teams to trade up for them. Yeah. All right, we're going to a quick commercial break, very quick commercial break. When we get back, Ben's going to give some NBA analysis. We'll be right back with you on KCOU 88.1 FM. A little bit about the show, if you've never listened before. This is the gold standard. We talk about Olympic sports. United States got 25 medals, which put them fifth in the medal count. Figure skating, news. I get the feeling I'm going to do what I did last show and talk way too long about world figure skating and not have the proper time to talk about the other things. Or sometimes whatever I feel like. Chiefs Bills played each other this weekend in the playoffs and it was a time. But it's my show, so that's what I get to do. Tune in Thursdays at 10. And welcome back to Around the Waves on KCOU 88.1 FM Columbia, the student voice of the Missouri Tigers. I'm your host, Luca Vitale, alongside Ben Schmidt. All right, NBA action. So, Ben, as you know, you're the expert here. You're giving me your expertise. The Miami Heat, the gentleman sweep, right? It was the gentleman sweep? Correct. Okay, I just want to make sure. I didn't watch a single game. Against the Milwaukee Bucks. That's why I'm not talking about this, because I have no clue what happened in this series. So... Um, you know, I didn't expect because the Heat were in the play-in tournament, so kind of shocking. I saw something along the lines that like the Bucks are like, was it like the sixth seed, number one seed to ever lose something in the first round or something like that? Yeah, I don't, I don't know the exact number of one seeds to yeah. lose to eight seeds. It's very few. It's it's somewhere between five and fifteen that in history have lost to the one seed. Chicago Bulls being one of them. The yeah. year Derek Rose got All hurt. right, bless me with your knowledge. So, I mean, you, you you said a moment ago what happened in the series. I mean, Jimmy Butler is what happened in the series. Jimmy playoff, playoff Jimmy is what happened in the series. Bulls fans, you and I have been familiar to watching him put on a show that's when, uh, I stopped when the watching. lights are on. Yeah, when, when he got moved out of Chicago. That's fair. Yep. That's right around where, that's it started, where it started to all go wrong. But Jimmy Butler in the series, you look at this Miami Heat roster, and it's like they're missing Tyler Hero. The other night at the end of that game in the closing moments when some of Jimmy's best supporters, Kyle Lowry, um, I think, and it's just wild that I'm saying this in 2023, Kevin Love had fouled out, um, and it was just Jimmy out, it was just Jimmy Butler out there um, with, with a bunch of role players. I mean, like Cody Zeller, who for like diehard NBA fans, I mean, that's a guy that's a, a name. I, that's the best way. He's just a guy that has been around in the league, but he's not anything crazy. And that's the type of players that were out there with Jimmy Butler in the closing moments of a closeout game. And yet it was good enough to get a win in advance. Jimmy Butler in five games averaged 37.6 points a game. And in the last two games scored 98 points. I mean, that's that was an insane series, including the 56 that he scored in game four and the big threes there at the end. So to have a team that's missing probably their second most important score. Maybe the most important score, I should say, um, because Jimmy Butler, up until this point in the regular season, was not their main scoring threat. This series, he was their main scoring threat. Um, so, Tower Hero, they're without him. Um, one game I mentioned a moment ago, it's basically just Jimmy Butler and Bam Adebayo. Sure, you're going to get some threes here and there from Gabe Vincent or Max Struess, but it's Jimmy Butler and whatever you can get out of Bam Adebayo. And yet, they take the number one seed, a true finals contender. I picked them to go to the finals and face the Suns, and I know I don't know everything, but I think most people believe this Suns team. 
do that. I didn't do yeah. that. I picked the Celtics without even knowing anything. Well, the Celtics <laughs> have their own issues. They, I don't even know. Uh, Hawks took them to six games. I don't wow. think that was a very good Hawks team. Um, but you have all these things with Milwaukee, and I know Giannis missed a game or two, but still, it's a great roster in Milwaukee. Milwaukee's roster without Giannis is better than Miami's roster, and yet the Heat beat him in five. There were some coaching issues. They simply could not figure out ways to stop Jimmy Butler when it really mattered. I think one speaks to how good of a coach Eric Spolstra is. I mean, that's a guy that's been doing it now for, for forever, and he's, I still don't think it's a ton of recognition because everyone thinks he's had the stars like he had the big three with LeBron, Wade, and Bosh, and yet you see all these super teams fail because of bad coaching, and yet Eric Spolstra always has a competitive team no matter who's on the roster. So I think that's a big reason, and it doesn't surprise me that a team like this is the first playing team to ever make it out of the first round. It's only been around a couple years, but every year the playing team that gets in is a seven or eight. They're usually dismantled quickly in four or five games, and yet the Heat go into Milwaukee for multiple games and, and take this series because of how good Jimmy Butler is. And it's going to be a long offseason in Miami for sure. It was surprising. I think especially the meltdown in Game 5. Giannis Antetokounmpo simply could not make free throws. I don't know. The final tally, I think Giannis from the line was like 12 for 26 from the line Oof. or 13 for 26. It was Was atrocious. DeMar DeRozan's daughter there? DeMar, DeMar DeRozan, <laughs> yeah. Maybe she was in the crowd screaming and getting into Giannis's head. Um, this is a team, too. It's like the, the Bulls, if not for not being able to score at the end, the, the Heat could have been knocked out in the play-in tournament. We could have seen the Bulls as the eighth seed, and the Bulls would have lost to the Bucks in five games max. But I mean, instead, who knows? Four maybe would have been more appropriate in that sense. Yeah, yet, yet the Heat... Um, the crazy thing, too, for the Heat is their ability to come back late. The Bucks could not have closed out a game for the life of them, including the, the game to clinch the series. The Heat in the fourth quarter showed by 16 points, and it came back, tie it on this crazy lob in play, and then win in overtime. I mean, it's I think what Miami did in this series is just incredible and just speaks more to the legend of Jimmy Butler because this, this is not a very good Heat roster. I just don't think it is, and yet now here they are. They take off the number one seed. They're going to face New York in the second round, and as good as New York is, they just dismantled Cleveland. Could the Heat win this series? Yeah, I think so. And would anyone like no one saw the eight seed Miami Heat making it to the Eastern Conference Finals. I don't. I don't think if they get past past the Knicks. So it was just incredibly surprising. And now um, Mike Budenholzer, the coach of the Milwaukee Bucks, is very lucky to have gotten that ring two years ago. Because outside of that, he has had a lot of earlier than expected playoff exits. And I think some of it has to do with board coaching. And it's. Milwaukee, it's going to be very interesting to see what they do if they run it back with the exact same squad again next year because uh, Miami certainly certainly exposed them a little bit. So that's, that's that's I think, been an interesting series. But another one, too, we, we were mentioning about, I know you're not the biggest Los Angeles Lakers fan in the world, but they have a chance tonight to close it out and move on to the second round. And then you get to watch another series of LeBron James and AD in the oh, second man, round. Oh, man, what would I do without that? Yeah. Man, my life would be so fulfilled. Mm-hmm. You know it's going to be fulfilled tomorrow at 9 o'clock if the Edmonton Oilers can finish off the Kings. That would be, that would fulfill my dreams. Listen, I don't know if you noticed this, uh, although I didn't get to watch it last night. The Toronto Maple Leafs oh, I don't, three I didn't notice it. games to one and lost last night. The collapse is on the way. I swear, this, if they actually do this yet again, if they do it again, because I've seen so many collapses with this team, I, I mean, it would be a miracle if Boach if both Kyle Dubas and Sheldon Keefe keep their jobs because I just I cannot believe how a team like this just finds ways to collapse. I mean, hasn't happened yet, but if any team, if you're up three games to one or even three games to nothing, and if it was the Toronto Maple Leafs up that, 
I wouldn't say the series is over because it's Toronto. I, I can't say it. How's Seattle doing? You know I have a crack on your jersey. The they... Seattle crack? Oh, my Lord. I kind of wish I mentioned that instead. They have been phenomenal. Philip Grubauer f- up from the dead. He's back. You know, I got to admit, the Seattle Kraken, I mean, I th- what is it, tonight? Yeah, they play tonight. They have a chance to knock off the Stanley Cup champions at home tonight at Climate Pledge Arena. I mean, it's going to be something special. If they win tonight, I mean, I can't be disappointed. Yes, I didn't have them advancing past the first round, but I would love to be wrong in this sense because the Seattle Kraken, they're better than people gave them credit for because I have the Avalanche uh, four games to one in the series. I didn't think the Kraken had enough offensively, and I didn't think their goaltending was that stable enough. But, hey, I don't mind being wrong when it comes to the Avalanche. Maybe, I really maybe don't mind. I'll, maybe I'll become a Kraken fan full-time then. I'll, t- I'll take my jersey Yeah, I don't mind being part, part of the crack house. Yeah. I, don't, I, I wouldn't mind. Fully I would, support them. Yeah. All right, we're going to end there. Thanks for tuning in to Around the Waves, and we'll see you next week.